0: And your host for Climify. I'm here today to introduce you to a new podcast called Deep Dive. It's the idea of two amazing designers, Grace Tursich and Rachel Cifarelli. They are both recent graphic design graduates who are deeply committed to being climate designers themselves. They came to me towards the end of the first season of Climify with an idea. They love the podcast, however, They could see gaps and opportunities for them to help fill and explore, explaining topics and definitions that appear on the show in a deeper way to help the design student better understand the ins and outs on how they could be a better climate designer as well. I thought it was an amazing idea. I've seen this done before on other podcasts and felt they have a point. Some of the stuff my guests and I discuss on the show are nuanced and jargon. So I'm happy to introduce you today to Deep Dive. It's a mini series that explores opportunities for climate education through the eyes of recent design students. The classroom needs to see more intersectionality between design and climate and Deep Dive is here to advocate for that.
1: Hi everyone. Welcome back to Deep Dives. I'm Rachel. And I'm Grace.
2: And this episode we are talking about consumerism and how it relates to design and essentially how consumerism impacts sustainability and what designers can do about that. And so if you haven't already we would recommend you listen to the sweatshops social injustices and systemic impacts of fast fashion episode um, that was with Jasmine Sanders, we have pulled some information out of that episode for this but We recommend you go back and listen to it if you haven't.
1: So what do you want to start with? There's Um, a lot to unpack from this episode.
2: There definitely is a lot to unpack. I think one of the things that was really impactful for me when I was was listening to it was the idea of consumerism tying in accessibility um, to those who can't really purchase like a quote-unquote sustainable shirt or blouse or pants that are like upwards of $8,200 or even more. Um, and I thought that that was really impactful because when we think of consumerism, we think of, or at least I think of like inexpensive stuff, like very cheap, just like getting people to buy more and more and more. Um, but with that in mind, I think consumerism impacts, maybe impacts isn't the right word, but more so marginalized communities that maybe don't have as much money to spend on these sustainable brands have to purchase from like more inexpensive brands. Um, So in talking about sustainability, like it has to be accessible to people who don't have all the money in the world to buy a hundred dollar shirt, which I found to be really interesting because I never really thought about that before.
1: Yeah. Like it's definitely a privilege as like, it's a racial privilege, it's a gender privilege, it's, it's an age privilege to consume these products that are made fair trade certified, made with organic cotton, made with all of these certifications. It's also like education that some people might not have due to where they live, due to their educational system. It's really crazy to think about. I feel like a lot of sustainable consumerism It's put on the person, it's on on the individual, instead of the company putting out all of those products, like the company who is promoting the consumerism.
2: Absolutely. And with that, you know, you're seeing all of these,
1: I'm thinking, I'm thinking
2: of clothing specifically, I think, but like all these companies putting out new sustainable lines every season, every few weeks, there's like new clothing out on the shelves, on in-stores, and that is like the epitome of consumerism. And like that is absolutely not sustainable. Um, but you're right in that. I think it it has to do a lot with educating communities on how to purchase more sustainably and also just like making sure, though, because you're right, that does put pressure on individuals, whereas making sure that the companies themselves are actually, making the clothing in a sustainable way and making it so that it's accessible to those marginalized communities.
1: Mm -hmm. And I feel like something that would just quickly nip this in the bud would be creating laws and policies that these companies cannot make these products in an unethical way. Like you cannot use unethical labor and you need to be using renewable resources and recycling your water and just small things like that so that it's not put on the consumer because that there's more education, there's more money to educate the consumer than more money just educating the companies that produce everything.
2: Yeah, and one point that um, Jasmine actually made in the episode was that like the people who are creating these like sustainable clothing lines or even just um, like people working in these factories creating clothing, like they're being paid what? a few cents a day and they're the people that are going to be the most impacted by climate change. And so, how do we bridge this gap so that we can make sustainable anything, sustainable clothing, sustainable items like more accessible to them so that they can still live a sustainable lifestyle and it doesn't have to be this um like like so so that sustainability doesn't have to be a fad so that it doesn't have to just be uh, something that's like coming and then just going to go.
1: Yeah, it's kind of, um, one of my points that I wanted to talk about was greenwashing, but it's kind of like, like these companies are saying that it's sustainably sourced, which is an unverified claim. However, they're saying that, okay, this is sustainably made, blah, blah, blah. And then they come out with these new sustainable products, like every, like, in the spring, in the summer, in the fall, in the winter. And like that's literally that's greenwashing. Like you're still producing more and you're still contributing to fast fashion. You're just putting a label on it. That's it.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think like what it can also be like, okay, sure, maybe they are made with somewhat better materials, but if you're constantly producing and constantly putting out new merchandise new items new things for people to just buy and then throw away like that is still contributing to the problem and it doesn't matter if they're made if the clothing or whatever textiles or whatever item is made a bit more sustainably if it's just going to be thrown away so that someone can buy something completely new the next season or even the next week like it doesn't make a difference
1: yeah i could talk about fast fashion forever because it, (laughs) it honestly it boggles my mind it's insane um, and like, I have definitely been a victim of fast fashion. like I because I didn't know any better. Um, but that's the thing. Like I've had time now to educate myself, and i I feel like I still do participate in fast fashion, but honestly, I didn't even think about it,
2: yeah, that's the thing, too. Like, people don't realize how impactful the textile industry is on our environment. Um, not only does it consume, not only is it just like, creating mounds and mounds of waste but it consumes so much water like the amount of water that it takes to grow cotton and to make a t-shirt is absolutely ridiculous the amount of land the amount of water like it's all these resources that are being pumped into the textile industry we think about the textile industry and clothes when we think about consumerism but i wonder if there are like other you know like other other areas that we can think about, um, there's technology and always needing to purchase the the newest technology. Like wanting to buy the iPhone. Like, geez.
1: Yeah, I read that article.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I was reading it through a Medium post. Consumerism: A Dilemma for Designers.
1: Yes, I think that's the article. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, they were talking about like technology is such a huge part of consumerism, and I feel like technology is one of the worst industries because it's not like clothes where you can repurpose the fabric um but like what are you going to do with an old iPhone I don't know (laughs) Yeah,
2: yeah exactly and it's like the core parts of an iPhone that make it an iPhone and that that keep it running like are not reusable like sure you can replace the glass or you can recycle that or whatever but like the the battery like you can't just replace that and with that comes a whole host of like all right, well, why do we need the newest technology? Why do we always want the newest clothes, the newest, you know, whatever. And I think a lot of it has to do with status and it's a status symbol in our country. Like if you don't have an iPhone, you're what? you're weird, you're below us, you're a loser, like, not to, not to bash any of the, the Samsung no, I'm, users I'm out totally there, kidding. <laughs> yeah.
1: but it's, like, I'm kidding. yeah, I'm just, like, that's what it's promoted to be.
2: Yeah, exactly, exactly, like, yo, if you've got a, if you've got a green, uh, text bubble, uh, that's kind of weird, um, <laughs> um, but no, it's just, it's such a symbol of how, deeply rooted our consumerism habits are into our daily lives. And not only that, but then how we perceive one another, how we interact with one another. um, It's all just like, it's it's all connected. Mm -hmm. One thing that I was reading about that kind of really stood out to me was designers work for companies and design clothes, design like the newest fashion line, design the newest iPhone, design the newest whatever. But these products are for the customers. So they're working with a client, but they're designing for a customer. And so one of the things that I was reading about that I thought was interesting was, you know, the question of should designers be adhering to the needs and wants of their client or of their customer? Because those are two very different and combating things. And, you know, if you throw the planet in there as well, like that's just a totally like third thing. And so it's how do you balance all of these needs and wants and necessities for three very different audiences that a designer is
1: working for? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's kind of getting into the ethics part of it. Like, am I ethically obligated to the corporation I'm working for or am I ethically obligated to the person Um, I'm designing this for, or am I ethically obligated to the planet where this is being sourced from and where it's probably going to end up in a landfill? It gets into the territory of an ethical dilemma.
2: Did you ever have to take an ethics class um, for your design curriculum or anything like that?
1: Yeah, I talked about this in a previous episode. I think the design systems episode Um, We had a design ethics class. I could not take it because that's when I was studying abroad, but I did take a replacement course in Italy and it was creating a, a local bicycle system in order to transport groceries and people would have more accessibility to bring their groceries where they wanted in an easier way that also didn't take up gas and fossil fuels it was really thinking about the effect of the planet and using like solar power to um, power up any ui ux component of that bike rack so that was kind of cool and that dove into the design ethics and who i was designing for also having the earth included Um, but I will say like there was no corporation that we had to think about. We didn't really have to get into where we sourcing the materials or who is funding this project or anything like that.
2: Yeah. And those are all super important questions to be considering. And like, those are all part of ethics. And it's like, if we're not teaching that in school, how are people, how are, how are students, new designers ever going to think about that in their workplace and like, where If they're not learning it in their design curriculum, like where are they going to learn it?
1: Did you have a design ethics course?
2: We had a class called media law and ethics, um, but it was more so like the ethics of copyright. And it was more like learning about the law and kind of like journalism. I didn't feel like it really applied to me um, as a communication design student, except when we learned about copyright. I think that class... Could have been a good opportunity to learn a b- bit more about the ethics of design, but instead, that was a class that like every communication student had to take. Um, so it was a much broader, more like less focused on com design, since com design was also a very small, smaller um, portion of the communication school. Um, So yeah, like we took it and it was also like not a lot of students really cared that much or even like participated in it. I remember it was just for for me and for my class, it was just kind of like no one participated. But backtracking a bit to when I was doing research at the end of my spring semester of senior year, and this was the research that has then turned into the new wave research project through climate designers. But when I was first doing it and I was asking students, like, how would you want to see sustainability in your design education a lot of people pointed to this class and they were like this would be a great opportunity to learn about the real ethics of not just communication design but just communications in general and like the power that the communications industry holds when they're communicating a you know a message um, or like a design or something like that but the class felt kind of wasted like a lot of students were saying that to me like the class has a great opportunity to be a place where we talk about ethics, but there never really is that conversation. But I think that's a really, it's a really important conversation to have. What are the ethics of of design and, and you know, what do you think could be a part of, of that kind of class or even like a section of a class. How do you think someone could tie in design ethics to a part of their curriculum or like for an entire class? Like, what do you think might be the, the bones of that
1: class? Yeah, I, so I thought about this question and my number one thing was just like allowing students to have the time to research and figure out and actively support social injustices that they see, ethical questions that they want answers to. I feel like sometimes in college we're just not given the time to explore things that are not that aren't directly related to like for us, it would be graphic design. Um, mm-hmm. But like just allowing that time, I think it would help a lot. Um, I mentioned this project in a previous episode as well, but um, we got to design a new website for a nonprofit organization in the area surrounding our school. I was allowed the opportunity and then we took a whole, um, I think it was a whole week or two to research the nonprofit organization we wanted to work with. And then everyone chose something really, really different. It was really cool to see what people were interested in. A lot of people wanted to do stuff with fostering and adopting and rescuing pets and animals. And a couple of us did domestic violence and violence just around the city and around the community. Um, And it was really cool to just see like what everyone was interested in. And then you got to do a project on it. Um, And I just, I thought that was a really good starting point.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think the idea of ethics and like how you teach that in the class would be so personal to the people in that class, because you're right, like people have a lot of different interests, a lot of different, um, you know, maybe niches they're hoping to go into, um, and each niche probably has its own set of ethics or set of standards that comes and goes from graphic design to industrial design, to packaging, to any of that kind of stuff. It's really cool that you were able to research this organization and really choose each student getting to choose what they want to be learning about and what questions they have about ethics.
1: Mm-hmm. I, really, I really liked that class. Um, and I mean, it did go by really quickly because I think that was a six week class. Like, I honestly can't remember. Oh. Um, But yeah, I really liked it. It just, it, it got me thinking like, what can I do with graphic design? Because up until then, we were kind of just learning the foundations and learning how to graphic design, not to how to graphic design and what can I do with it?
2: Mm -hmm. And I think there's a lot of opportunity to express that and show that in an ethics class because it's like, yeah, you could use your graphic design work and Go work for an agency that supports like fossil fuel companies or go like work directly with a fossil fuel company and work on their marketing work on their website work on whatever and like yeah you'll make a ton of money but you're killing our planet in the process and so it's like how do you weigh those options of what are are the ethics involved in that and i think it might be worth i don't even know if we could do this like it worth like trying to define ethics or just trying to like pin that down but maybe every person kind of has their own subjective definition of that
1: i think it's a very broad term i mean to me i guess yeah it's it's weird because when i think of ethics i think of sustainable ethics um Mm -hmm. whereas someone else might think of um political ethics and other things um yeah so I guess, I don't know. It, it does seem <laughs> different from person to person. Um, yeah. What do you think? Do you have a definition that you found in your research or one that comes to mind? I'm thinking
2: back to the webinar that we were both on earlier today with Mark and Sarah and how climate designers has laid out their own set of ethics for the work that they do and who we are as as climate designers i think that's really cool and i think that's a good way to you know i think ethics can be a set of maybe standards that guide the work that you do and guide um like yourself as just like a person living in the world um but you know that's not a real solid definition, but that's kind of my personal idea of what ethics would be.
1: I'm going to list off the ethics that are um, listed in climate designers, just so we can kind of have that in the top of our mind.
2: Oh, so the the set of ethics are climate designers are pro-human, climate designers realize all designers are culture makers, climate designers are excited to design a better world, we are fighting for transformational system change, and we try things, and we learn from our mistakes. That's kind of the overarching values of climate designers. Um, those are the values. Those are the ethics that if you sign on to be climate designer, you are signing on to these set of values. And I think it's hard to, to really differentiate a value from an ethic. Is, is an ethic even a word, Like, or is it just ethics? but um, I think it's hard to uh, detach those two. Um, I I think going back to consumerism, like we have to have a set of ethics when we are designing for whoever it is, because if we don't, we will kind of just be stuck doing the same thing over and over and stuck designing in this consumer centric world that, is always just wanting you to, to buy more and more and more.
1: Mm -hmm. And I kind of want to go into what I would have liked to see from my design ethics course. And what I felt was lacking a little bit, especially looking back now as someone who is working in the workplace, I'm, I'm at an agency and what would I have liked to know now that I have graduated? So The number one thing for me is just within marketing, especially for graphic designers, greenwashing is so big, but I honestly didn't really learn about it until a couple of weeks ago, (laughs) just because it wasn't like it it was talked about, but we weren't really given a definition or at least I didn't know of a definition. Um, And so I wish we would have had some sort of course identifying what greenwashing is. So I learned that on sustain.life, Um, it's a blog, they were talking about how greenwashing is really harmful for consumers because it deteriorates the trust in all companies, including the companies that are actually sustainable. That's not what we want at all. So I really, I thought that was really interesting um, and it's really important to keep trust with the companies that deserve our trust. So I wish um, I would have learned that. And then also just, I wish I would have learned the signs of greenwashing so all educators out there like share the signs of greenwashing give us a list of what to look for because sometimes like it's greenwashing is a deception it's a tactic it's a deception to the consumer and we're consumers too so like we fall into the deception and sometimes it's really hard to identify so I I would love for students to learn how to identify greenwashing so throughout their college career and after they can start seeing it more easily and knowing terms like eco-friendly and all-natural, how those are huge red flags, and the rebranding of companies just using like green or natural imagery like plants or animals, and then also what green flags should we look at, right? Like what what are things that are not greenwashing? For example, third-party certifications like the Fair Trade Certified, companies that set Actionable goals and like by like twenty thirty we will do X Y and Z, and companies that also produce verified reports of their sustainability or just general reports. And I think having that kind of at the like at the very beginning of an ethics class would set us up to be able to identify more easily, and then in turn when we graduate, not fall into those traps as people who are designing for consumers.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean. I second everything that you just said. That would have been. I, I know. You, I really said just a went of, you just went on a tirade, but like <laughs> I loved it because that's so true. Like, if we had learned what, because greenwashing, I feel like as sustainability is becoming more and more mainstream or more and more like um, people are demanding their products be more sustainable, greenwashing is such a huge problem because it's these companies that know that people want sustainable products, but they're not actually sustainable. They're just slapping a green label on their products.
1: Just to pop in here, which actually goes back to design thinking, like they're not going back to the drawing board. Like it's like they got to the testing stage and realized, Oh, people want something else. And then they just went back one step instead of all like five steps.
2: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah, go on. <laughs> no, that's a great point. Um, But I thought it was interesting what you're saying that greenwashing really corrodes trust between a consumer and a company, and especially between those companies that are actually doing the right thing. Because when people hear the term greenwashing and they don't really know the green flags versus the red flags, um, consumers can either, yeah, like everything's green, everything's sustainable, like I don't have to pay attention to this, or nothing is sustainable and I'm not trusting anything. And like, even the companies that look like they're doing good, um, actually aren't, and I don't want any part of it. So it was a really interesting point that you made that it really deteriorates this trust between consumers and, and companies.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's important as kind of being that middleman between the company and the consumer, like we should be able to support the green flags and support those good initiatives and the good companies.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, if they don't receive support from consumers, then like, how are they ever going to continue to do the the good work? Um, but unfortunately it becomes so difficult to see and make that difference between the good work and the bad work. Mm -hmm. Was there anything else that you wanted to like talk about or, or bring up today?
1: Yes. I wanted to bring up that when I got out of college, I feel like this is the metaphor I'm going to use. I felt like a little baby bird and you know, like, how you know, like mama birds push the baby birds out of the nest to like, see if they can fly. You know, have you, have you heard of that?
2: Yeah. Like, they like make like them a do baby,
1: Yeah. I felt like a baby bird being shoved out of the nest by my mama bird because I had like, I had all the tools, like, I was taught how to fly, blah, blah, blah. I was taught graphic design, but like, what do I do now? Like what, what companies can I work for? What job boards have sustainable companies on there or like sustainable initiatives? Um, What firms can I reach out to to see if there's a position open? I would love more um, conversation around resources for students after they graduate. So we don't feel like little baby birds. I think that's a collaboration between educators and in the school. I feel like that's on the school in general, which I mean, I went to a huge university, so that's a lot to put together. But I do feel like that's that's really important to have, like maybe a sustainable job fair. Like that'd be so cool.
2: That would be really cool. And you're so right. And I mean, that analogy makes a lot of sense because I think you can say that about a lot of things between going between university and the workforce, but especially with this, like give students the tools to not only be a good graphic designer or a good designer, but also to make the right decisions of what companies they want to work for and how they can make the best impact on the planet. I think really You know, we don't, you don't have to hold our hands, but give us the resources to actually to know this stuff so that we can make informed decisions and the right decisions rather than accepting the first job that we get, regardless of where it's at and regardless of what impact that will have on our planet.
1: Right. Yeah. And I mean, we, we both graduated within the pandemic. So our options were limited just in general. But I would, I would hope as the pandemic hopefully comes down, um, more jobs will open up. And I think this is a great opportunity for educators to support their students and ask them, what are your ethics? What kind of companies are you looking to work for?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And I think students will have a lot to say about that. And especially like Gen Zers are way more conscious about wanting to do good for the, for the society, for the planet, for um, like, they're way more conscious about that. And so I think they'll have a lot more to say on it now than maybe 10 years ago or even a few years ago um, when these issues really weren't at the forefront of like society and what people are talking about now.
1: Mm -hmm. And I think a good starting point for educators to help guide students to the right companies to work for is um, explaining in showing what reports we need to be looking for. When I first got to my agency, the first thing I did was I looked up their sustainability report um, and they, number one, they actually had one, which was great. And they actually have like deadlines and agendas and it's amazing. But I, it took me a while to know, to look for that. Like, I didn't know that there were sustainability reports or just reports in general. Where can we find those for corporations that we might be working for? I know the Clean Creatives website has a whole list of firms and companies that have these sustainable agendas, um, but sharing those resources, I think would be really important. And just a quick and easy way to start students on that um, path of thinking about where they want to work.
2: Yeah, definitely. That would have been so helpful as, you know, I was a graduating senior and going out to the workforce. Like that would have been so good to know that this is actual information that you can ask of your potential employers um and you have a, a right to know that and you 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 should know that because you should know what kind of company you're working for and what their sustainability standards are
1: mm-hmm. that's all i have i think i got through all of my <laughs> points um, i got very excited about this conversation <laughs> Yeah, um,
2: and like you made a lot of really thought-provoking and incredible points that um, like made me stop and think of like, oh, what is the trust between a consumer and a company and like how greenwashing corrodes that. So um, yeah, this was a great conversation.
1: Yeah, I hope this is helpful for educators and I hope that our perspective and looking back on our college experience is helpful and might point out some ways of communication that could really support students.
2: Definitely. All right. Well, thank you so much for tuning into this episode. Um, I'm Rachel.
1: And I'm Grace. And have a good one. Thanks. Bye.